Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. Later on in the programme, I will be talking to Philip O'Connor from IFAC and to Pat Carl from the IFA. And my final guest this morning will be the newly elected president of Veterinary Ireland, Hazel Mullins. My first guest this morning is Tia Broderick and Tia is with Shagas and I do believe she's in the Thurless office and we're going to be talking about something that farmers should be preparing for in the springtime and the early springtime of that, maybe into late winter and that is housing for newborn calves. Good morning uh, Tia and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Jim. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks to the God sitting down here comfortably in my own house and uh, doing a recording with you. So how are you? I'm good now. You have recovered from all the hard work you've had to do during the past number of months, what with acres and everything, uh, as far as I can see. Most of the Chagas workers are uh, very tired. Ah, yeah, but look, we enjoy the job and that's... That's the main thing. It's busy, but it's good to be busy too. What should a farmer be doing with regard to preparing for the calving season? And as you know, and most of my farmer listeners will know, a lot of farmers start calving from the middle of January. Yeah, so look, I suppose the springtime is one of the busiest times of the year. Mm-hmm. I suppose setting up prior to that is, is crucial. So, like, you know, preparation is key to success, really. And I suppose the main thing, like, starting off would be, you know, obviously power washing the houses out and making sure that they're disinfected and ready to go. And the main thing I would say is that make sure that medicine cabinet is stocked up with all iodine, your vaccines, you know, your bottles, or if you're measuring the quality of plastron, your refractometer, and importantly, like, your thermometer, probiotics, or any electrolytes and stuff like that. I'm... I suppose ensuring that there's good ventilation for the shade, you know, we want to avoid draft coming in and uh, calves getting pneumonia. I suppose if you're a farmer that is feeding milk replacer, you know, having that pallet of milk replacer ordered in prior, prior to the calves being born and meal, um, most importantly. Um, I suppose a very handy tool on the farm then as well is like, you know, for example, like herd watch registering calves. Um, as they're being born, keeping on top of things. And, um, you know, I think another very important thing to have on farms then is, you know, a farm fridge freezer. Like, that's very important, especially if you're measuring um, the quality of classroom. You know, mm-hmm. you can measure it, and if you good quality, you can freeze it then and there, whether it be bags or bottles or whatever. And you have the facilities to, to store it then as well. And so there's another few things then, which I find very, very handy then is whiteboard. Um, you know, having a whiteboard up in the calving pin or individual calving pins, whatever your setup is, and, you know, recording everything that's going on, especially from labour coming in. You know, it's very handy for, you know, calving you know, if a group of 10 or 12 calves have all their tag numbers up on the whiteboard, you know, when they got their first vaccine, when the second vaccine is due, and, you know, if there's anything going on there, you know, if cat has pneumonia, whether they've been treated or not, you know, keep it on top of things. Um, it's definitely the key and just, you know, preparing um, prior to having to have everything there at hand because, you know, mm-hmm. as we know in the spring, calving is very, you know, it's very time-consuming. And the last thing that you want to do is 
like you know you go into a pain and there's a cash fix or whatever and you've nothing there and having to go in and get something then like you know that's very time consuming so you know making sure everything is there and ready to go and that you have a, a supply of stock there you know that you could ask on it then and there and you're not wasting time so you know, like you utilizing your time management efficiently yeah and of course it's a time that also when uh, given the way in which uh, our modern dairy farmers run their farms and uh, particularly their calving uh, season, the calving season is virtually short because of the way in which they have compact calving. Yeah, sure. Look, um, the compact calving, sure, everything is coming at you at once. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're a person that doesn't have labour, yeah. Um, it is very important having all these things in place uh, ready to go because you don't have time to be, you know, mm-hmm. stopping and having to go off to the co-op or go to the vet. If you have everything re- ready to go, like, you're using your time more efficiently. But suppose if you have labour, um, that is a help. But it is a very stressful time on the farm. And it, I know it is a short period mm-hmm. of time, but having everything prepared and in place ready to go will, will help that and hopefully have a smooth calving season. There's another thing that is very important for the farmer's point of view and that's the farmer's safety because as you said the farmer is under stress but also the farmer can be very tired because as I said compact calving uh, you could have anything up to uh, from 5 to 10 calves in the one 24 hours so that's 24 hours of work and Animals can be very upset during calving and particularly after calving. So, again, yeah. the proper facilities for calving is very important. Oh, it is um, very important. Like calving gates, are, they're very, very handy. You can lock in the cow and show your face. They're behind mm-hmm. her. But I suppose a, a very important thing is like never turn your back mm-hmm. on a cow. And if you are, say, getting up during the middle of the night and there's cow and cub and you're going down to calve her, let someone know in the house I'm heading down there. Do I keep an eye on the camera or make sure I'm back in the house? I know within 10 or 15 minutes. Um, because, like you said, farmers are very tired, very exhausted. It can be a very dangerous place to be in, especially in the springtime. And you can lose concentration very easily and may not pay attention to something. So I suppose, you know, just never turn your back on cows and making sure that if you're going down the yard, whenever it be night leave or middle of the night, that yes, you wake someone, you tell someone, like if you have calving cameras, just like keep an eye there on the calving camera, or if you can, if you have or a help come with you, better again. But um, look, it it is a very special time of the year. It's very busy. Unfortunately, letting people know where you are yeah. is an important thing. As yeah, well makes a lot of, makes a lot of sense. And of course, yeah. to make certain sure that your calving cameras are in full working order is also something very important, and there should be well tested well in advance of when your calving starts yeah and I suppose we're very lucky with technology these days like before like cameras in the calving you had you kept her on telly in the house to watch to watch anything going on around there but now with technology you know constantly improving the whole time we're lucky that we have these apps on our phone and it can be wifi to our phones you can access calving anywhere and you might you know mm-hmm. the access can be over the vest or anything like so technology is definitely helping things like that and it's constantly improving all the time. Okay, and if I was then to ask you, Tia, this morning for your three tips to farmers when they are now preparing for the next calving season. 
Um, I suppose number one is having your medicine cabinet fully stocked, ready to go. Um, you know, have your feeders ready to go, fresh teeth and all that done. Um, my second one then was definitely the whiteboard. That, the whiteboards are brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it saves you taking the phone out of your pocket and having to type stuff in, at least on the, on the board. You know, you can glance at it as you're walking past and you can input that on a later date. And uh, then thirdly, then having cameras. Like, you can't go wrong with having cameras. They're, they're a lifesaver, really. Okay, well, look, at, I want to thank you ever so much, Tia, for joining us this morning and giving your good advice to farmers before the calving season. That listeners was Tia Broderick from Chagas. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Philip O'Connor and Philip is with IFAC and he's in the care office and he's head of farm supports. And of course, the past year has been a very difficult one for farmers. And I suppose the reason I have Philip on this morning, we're going to be looking at how difficult a year it really was for farming. Good morning, Philip, and thanks for joining us. Morning, Jim, and thanks for having me on. Okay. From IFAC's point of view, when you look at all the farming systems, you look at the way in which farmers uh, farm and uh, how successful they are at it or not not successful, and economically how well they get on. So what's 2023 been like? 2023 has been a tough year now, um, particularly in the dairy sector and the tennis sector. So it's been it's been a you'd probably say nearly a complete opposite to the previous year of 2022. So I mean, if you look back in 22, yes, um, the costs rose like nothing for any of us. We all know that anyone's going to the shop or cost of living. So that same process affected farmers as well. But in the year 2022, the 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 output prices we were getting for our milk and for our crops rose as well, rose exponentially with it. So. We maintained that margin, we maintained a very healthy margin in those years. What happened in 23 is the cost did not come down. Like feed prices remained high, fertilizer remained high. They did come back a level, but they still remained very high. But the prices we got for output definitely dropped, dropped significantly. And then to put on top of that, then to put it mildly, it has not been a great year weather-wise for either growing crops or growing grass. And particularly the autumn this year was very challenging. So it was... We had a lot of farmers, particularly in the dairy sector, who just their feed costs went up and it was high cost feed. They were feeding a lot over the year. You could argue about stocking rates and so forth. But the reality was we're looking at figures now and we're seeing significantly high feed costs per litre or per cow um, on farms. And it's really impacting on profits with the milk price coming down. So their costs per litre didn't change, but their, their, but their price per litre did. And there's just been a real squeeze in the margin at the moment. But they will survive, won't they? You know, they've had a good year the year before. There must be some money, uh, I suppose, on ice for farmers that would be in any kind of difficulty. And, they, you know, they should be able to ride out this one. And by all accounts, the prospects for 2024 are much better, Philip. Yeah, I'm right. So, yes, you would say. But, look, farmers, by their very nature, I'd say they're almost like the ultimate entrepreneurs. They're always reinvesting and putting money back into the farm. And a lot of farmers did invest a lot of their, their cash reserves they made from 22 back into the farm in 23. I, I would have had clients who would pay down debt. They, mm-hmm. they, they, they spent it on capital, as in farm needed investment. They put it into 
investment fund or pension funds. They put it into, we all know many of us have children about the cost of childcare in the future and in college, and I'm seeing clients doing that. So, but cash is never ending. So, I mean, we are starting to see clients with the cost this year that they, they, they are running tight in cash reserves. Mm-hmm. And while you say that next year's outlook is looking positive, it, a lot of it will depend how quick the milk price rises. So a lot of us are looking at will will the co-ops, I see the ICMSA and IFA, I think we're out there today calling for the co-ops to, to rise milk for the November mid-checks into December. We do, while there is definitely positivity about the milk price, we haven't seen it yet. We've seen it. It, 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 hasn't, it hasn't decreased or hasn't increased in the last month or so. But we do definitely need to see milk price starting to creep up Particularly if we if we need to get to the averages, which Tigers were saying last week on the Outlook Conference of about forty cent, forty eight cent an average for the year. In order to achieve that, we do need to be up orders or close enough to forty cent base by the peak months, which is March, April, and May, and into June. So, and that's going to come around quicker than we think. Like we're we're two weeks out from Christmas. Like I mean, the New Year is only around the corner. So we do need to see that milk price rising sooner rather than later if we are going to achieve a, a higher than average milk price than we've got this year. Yeah, and some of the dairy farmers will be calving down before the end of uh, January. So as you quite rightly said, it is just around the corner. Yeah, and like I mean, it was interesting like before, like I mean, there, there yesterday I was just talking to a couple of farmers where I'm doing some budgeting and cash flow management with them and we're looking at next year and we're looking at the figures, like, and it was interesting uh, quite a lot of them were commenting about probably one of the biggest variables next year, which we, which none of us um, can control is the weather. Like a, a, an early spring and a good spring would be a huge benefit to the industry. Um, I mentioned there at the start of the show about the tillage farmers, like the weather just killed the tillage farmers last year, like both, both at the sowing period, the growing period, and definitely at harvesting period. Like, and that applies to all farmers, like, you know what I mean? So... An early spring or a good spring would be a huge benefit boost to the industry across all the sectors. If you know, I mean, the fact that the cows out, get crops in the ground, you, you just your your cost base and even your I hate like uh, your your mental well being <laughs> about being able to get the animals out and seeing them out, like you know what I mean. So, yeah, that would be a huge benefit. Like I mean, if we if we start next year with milk price going up and we got a good spring, it would just it would give such a lift to the to, to the to the rest of the year, if you know. What I mean. And financially, it would be a huge lift as well. Right, and you mentioned finance, and of course, finance is one of the things we none of us can get on without having money coming in. So what kind of advice are you giving your clients at the moment uh, with regard to uh, finance and how they would be able to finance themselves, not alone to get through uh, the current winter, but just in case we do have one of these horrific springs? Well, what we're doing, like, I mean, what I'm doing, I've literally much full-time at the moment now for the last three, four mm-hmm. weeks, and I'll be doing it right up into Christmas, is I'm doing two things with my farmers. We're looking at 23 costs, so we're getting mm-hmm. very much up-to-date figures, so, like, 10, 11 month actual, so the actual figure's up right up into November, but then doing a little bit of a budget to take us to December, so we're getting a really accurate figure is what happened this year? Where's our cost base this year? Where did the money go this year? Because we're probably not going to have, unless there's a dramatic drop in feed and fertilizer, we're not going to have a dramatic drop in cost next year, in all probability. So we're then looking into next year then going, right, so what is the cash reserves going to be in the farm at the end of the year? What are your creditors like? So when you're when you're running through the spring, I mean, and the same like any farmer, like when, when you're 
you either pay for it out of your own cash, out of your own bank account, or you put it on credit. So in other words, that you mm. your crop holds the cost for you. So we're looking at dairy farmers in particular about what that cost base is going to be and what the cost is over going to be over the spring. Like I mean, the cost of running a cow over the spring for those first three or four months, mm-hmm. probably seven eight hundred, probably up to nine hundred euros a cow. So where is that money going to come from, and how are you going to finance it? So. You'll carry some of it, you'll have some of your cash reserves, and then obviously your milk checks will kick into it. So really looking about where do we see the cash flows over the next four months, the first four months of next year. And I suppose when you do a cash flow, you always do the what ifs. And the what if is, well, what if we have a long spring? Or what if milk price didn't rise? Mm-hmm. Or what if milk, do you know what I mean? You, you always kind of look at those as a scenario. So therefore, you know, if something happens, what does that mean for your finances? And then obviously we, we would we'd have solutions for that, whether it's, Using your own cash reserves, going to going to the bank before the problem happens, and getting a cash flow loan, going to your creditor and saying, "Look, I need to extend my credit from 30 days to 60 days." So, having the plan of actions for those what ifs, so therefore you can you can implement them quickly. The worst thing you can ever happen with a cash flow is not knowing, and you wake up some morning and the bank is saying you're maxed out and you're overdraft, and you're going, "Well, what do I do now?" That is not the place you want to be in. And any farmer then, your advice to any farmer that would feel that he's likely to get into some sort of difficulty, uh, I presume your advice would be the same as any one of the current banks, and that is talk to your bank early. Oh, 100%. Talk to your bank, talk to your co-op, talk to the, your merchants, or whatever it might be. By, by going to them first and saying that this is a problem, this is where I'm going to be, and here's the solution of what we can do to solve it. It's so much better than the problem has happened and they're ringing you going, the overdraft is maxed. We're not giving you any more credit. That is not the position you want to be in. So if the problem is there, find it, confront it, and we'll come up with a solution for it, if you know what I mean. Because pretending it's not there doesn't make it go away, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. And staying with banks, I see that you have launched a new app and apparently that app is to uh, help you with regard to the banking of that your clients have. Yeah, I suppose look, where, where it comes from, and I kind of touched on it earlier about doing up-to-date cash flows, mm-hmm. where traditionally your, your accountant would, would ring you up and say, I need your accounts, and you drop in all your bank statements for the previous year. Um, what we're doing now is we're, we're having the direct feeds with, with, a, with a farmer's position or a client's position. We can link your accounts, your accounts package that we do your accounts on, to your bank account, so therefore your information from your current account is coming in directly into your accounts package. It means we can keep your accounts up to date much, much better, and we're not looking for past information, and it allows for what I do, is when I go onto your accounts, I can have your most up-to-date information, so therefore we have the most relevant information we need to order to do cash flows and do budgeting and planning for the future, so it just makes things much more streamlined and easier. Well, it sounds a very reasonable thing for IFAC to be able to do and to be able to get real-time information as to where a farmer stands when you are asked to help them out. Look at Philip uh, for this morning. We'll have to leave it there. I want to thank you ever so much for joining us this morning. That listeners was Philip O'Connor from IFAC. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Pat Carl, And Pat, as you know, is the chairperson of the IFA in South Tipperary. And on last Wednesday night, they had their AGM. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there. But uh, Pat is going to 
hopefully tell me everything uh, that happened at the AGM and I'm quite sure it was quite a lively affair. Good morning, Pat, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Okay, Pat, had you a good night on Wednesday night? Yeah, we had we had a good night, good turnout, uh, fine big crowds, and a, a good lively discussion. Uh, Damien Macdonald, IFA Director General, was was our guest uh, speaker. Um, I think actually it's his first time in South Tipperary since since he came into the IFA. I was surprised to hear he's he's seven years now at the helm. Um, so yeah, there was a good lively debate, and he was covered in uh, many topics that I suppose uh, probably a lot of topics that. And, and different angles of how they deal with issues within the organisation that probably we don't um, we take for granted, I suppose, in one sense. And especially behind the scenes, the work that staff do, um, a, a lot of endless work that's, and a lot of prepar- preparation that has to go into for a lot of the work that is to be done as regards with policy and, and schemes and, and wanting another. So, yeah, he covered a good few um different pillars, as he called them, uh, on the night. And Pat, did he cover the preparation that has to be done before any um, member of the IFA, and in particular the president, would go in uh, to meet with the minister? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, they would be uh, well briefed, like in in, in any uh, discussions Mm -hmm. where the agenda is is pre-prepared. Like, I mean, the a lot of work goes in and even in dealings with the media and various uh, discussions with various bodies, there's huge preparatory work. Like there's, there's many hours of work going in um, preparing to make sure that, that everybody's up to speed and at a level. And, and I suppose even it came up as regards the different sectors like IFA covers all sectors from potatoes, vegetables, all the ways up along sheep, pigs, uh, beef, dairy. So, but I suppose sometimes the assumption is made, oh, uh, IFA is all about dairy or is all about beef. But mm-hmm. I suppose he, he, he came across and said, like, you know, policy is decided by each committee. So we'll say the beef committee decides beef policy. And that is involving 29 farmers, mm-hmm. beef farmers, that sit in that committee from all the executives around the country. And they decide policy. And not staff, not National Council, not the president, they decide. Um, and it's the same way in other sectors, whether it's the pigs or the sheep, you'll have those that have skin in the game that are involved in, in, in farming in that sector every day. They decide policy and each of those committees then have um, a policy or secretary that's, that's an employee within the organisation. And it's great to have that there because they're able to go over all the fine print and make sure that everything is covered and all the angles are covered properly and, and to keep to keep the committee abreast of, of, of any uh, changes coming down the track or something new that's coming. And like a lot of the time in the committees, they're discussing three, six, nine months in advance of when something is probably coming into the public domain even. There are certain discussions going on. So it's a great opportunity um, for those uh, chairs on those committees to get involved in policy-making decisions. And it's a very, very important role. Yeah. OK, I suppose, you know, before I had you on uh, the programme this morning, I had Philip O'Connor from IFAC uh, discussing farm incomes for 2023. I presume uh, there was quite a discussion around farm incomes for uh, 2023 at your AGM on Wednesday night? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, between incomes, but I suppose uh, cost increases have been huge. But the real big one is is the delayed payments. Um, is mm-hmm. is a massive issue, and 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 we hear now this week gone by that the acres, uh, something like eighteen thousand, won't get paid now before Christmas is shoved out to February, and um, there was plenty of of farmers there quite annoyed over that, and and absolutely cannot understand where even up to ten days ago. The department were still talking about paying out, and and all of a sudden pulled the plug. Um, it 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 is shocking, really, because that most of those schemes are are for the, the low income sectors, especially like are really really dependent on those payments coming and coming when they're supposed to come. Because like anybody, uh, anybody else, they need those coming at at those times because they have bills, they have certain payments have to be made or or even the run up to Christmas now, like I mean, a, a payment that was due to, to come in and not to come in could put huge pressure on a household, and it, it, it's very unfair. I mean, nobody else in society would have to put up um, with what farmers have put up with this year. And um, while while earlier in the year IFA were criticised uh, for walking out of the charter talks, you can see now exactly why there was there was no leeway, there was nothing coming from the minister or the department, uh, no leeway coming. And, and IFA could see like that they were driving this through and, and to highlight it, uh, walked out of those charter talks to show exactly what, what was coming down the track. And, and unfortunately, it has come true now at this stage. And was Damien aimed to give you any insight as to why these payments are being, uh, you know, uh, rolled out late rather than on time? Well, uh, like it's a, it's a new cap. Uh, mm-hmm. All new schemes this year. Department are saying it's IT issues. Um, like they they have they have constantly said like there are issues in running these new schemes and there there's various uh, in in individual schemes there's there's various issues in in uploading all the information and and whatnot. But like there's also like being overcomplicated by the Department of Agriculture. There's so many schemes there now and even. In the budget, it was announced an extra eight euro per year for the sheep. And instead of topping up the current sheep welfare scheme, it looks like they're going to run another scheme again. And and like again, we have to watch here now and be careful that another scheme comes along that maybe a farmer has to do some other measures going to cost him money out of the eight euro and undermine what what was to be look like a positive payment. So, but but the running of all these schemes, there's something like twenty schemes now between sheep and beef at the moment, like, and it's 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 crazy, really, because the administration, as we can see, we can see how it's held up payments, and obviously it's taking up huge amount of uh, labour to to put all these schemes through uh, and and to get them administered and and to do the checks and the cross checks and whatnot. So, like, it it needs to be simplified. We've heard in the past about simplifying cap. Well, it's far from simplified it is at the moment, and and the more complicated it gets, the less money is in the farmer's pocket, and that's where it needs to be. Okay, uh, coming week is going to be a very important week for the IFA. Yeah, definitely, it's 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 another milestone again. Um, Tim Cullinan and uh, Brian Rush, the president and deputy president, are coming to the end of their term. Uh, the four years are down, um, fast four years, and the incoming uh, uh, are we're prepared now for the count on the Tuesday, Wednesday. So, yeah, it will be a busy week. Um, postal votes and, and branch votes uh, to be counted. 
uh, Tuesday into to, to Wednesday, and you also the regional chairs for Munster, Connacht, and and South Leinster. So yes, it'll be an exciting week. It's a busy week. It's a it's, it's a very uh, busy week in the IFA calendar. Uh, the the count. So by by sometime on Wednesday, I would say we'll hardly have a Tuesday evening, but probably sometime on Wednesday we'll know who the next president and deputy president of the IFA will be. And is it the fact that we've had a postal vote uh, on this particular time and the various changes that were made that uh, the event is going to become a two-day event rather than just a one-day event? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because everything is in uh, is in an envelope, mm-hmm. a sealed envelope. They all have to be opened individually, and our barcode has to be read. And it's it's a means of just the count of votes in. Nobody knows who voted, but each, like we had in the past, we'll know what each branch voted and the way it voted, and it builds up a profile. And branches and, and, and members like to see how branches and voted, and do you know what I mean? And there's yeah. patterns around the country. And that, that adds to the excitement of, of the election and the count and to see how it, uh, it works out. And, and it's interesting for those two that were out on the ground and, and, and see how uh, lobbying materialised or, or canvassing materialised and, and, and how it's... It, it uh, measures up, so yeah, it, it it certainly will take quite a bit of time to open all those envelopes and 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 put them together. That certainly will take a bit of time. Uh, so it'll be a little bit more difficult for the tally men to be able to to be able to come up with a prediction early on on this occasion. Possibly, unless there's a very clear margin, maybe possibly mm-hmm. in 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 the wood, but. It's it's anybody's call. Like nobody would call it at the moment because of the postal vote, and and the difference this time round. Nobody could call, um, and I expect it probably will be pretty close on the count day itself. You you would expect that it would. So I I'd say like I mean the the it'll run on for the day and into the the Wednesday and and um, yeah, it'll it'll make for an interesting count. Okay, well, look, Pat, thanks very much for joining us this morning. I suppose, as I said, we'll all be uh, looking out to know what happens on next Tuesday and Wednesday. And as you say, it's probably Wednesday before we'll know who will be the next president and who will be the next deputy president of the IFA. Thanks, Jim. That listeners was Pat Carl, who is the chairperson of the IFA in South Tipperary. Listeners, Veterinary Ireland have a new president. She is Hazel Mullen, and Hazel took over from Paul McDermott. And Hazel is with me this morning. We'll discuss what Veterinary Ireland do. Good morning, Hazel, and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Very well. And look, congratulations on being elected by the members to be uh, the president for the coming year. It's going to be quite a lot of work for you, I gather. Yes, so I'm excited. Um, It's a a new challenge. Um, I like to keep myself busy, if anyone knows me. So um, it definitely is something new. And I'm enjoying the role so far. I've been uh, president now for two weeks. And yeah, it's uh, I was very lucky to take over from Paul McDermott, who did fantastic work for the the last year. And uh, he's definitely paved the way um, for me to hopefully have a, a good positive year um, as president of Veterinary Ireland. So excited. OK. Apart from being a veterinary surgeon, who is Hazel Mullins? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Hazel Mullins is a dairy farmer's daughter from Carrigan in County Cork. 
and I um, studied veterinary in Nottingham in the UK. Uh, I went over there in 2007 and qualified in 2013. And then I came back and worked in numerous practices uh, all in Munster. So Kerry, Bandon, uh, around Cork City. And then I moved up to Nace for a while. And then I came back um, to Cork to Dairy Farm with my dad. So I'm currently in partnership with my dad on the farm. And then I do large animal locum work and I write for the examiner and I yeah just love farming being out in nature all things veterinary all things farming uh, you'll find me at ag shows you'll find me in uh, brown thomas shopping I love shopping <laughs> I love being a girly girl as well so yeah I've um, there's a lot of strings to my bow I think yeah Right. Well, you sound as if you love life and love what you're doing, uh, which, of course, uh, is great. And it comes across uh, on uh, the radio anyway, extremely well. And I'm quite sure then you spoke uh, at the beginning that it was going to be a busy year. And I'm quite sure it will be a busy year. And I'm looking down at some of the headlines of the conference that uh, you held uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, some of the things, you know, uh, statements like further clarity needed on new veterinary prescribing legislation. That's something of great interest to farmers. Yes. So there's a lot of changes um, under negotiation at the moment. So it's a, a challenging time. I think it's a changing time and it's just making sure that vets are protected, farmers are protected, that we make sure that we're prescribing to make sure that animal health and welfare is protected as well. Um, so it's an ongoing process and it's an, going to be an interesting year. And I think I'm going to be um, quite involved with uh, medicines and there's a medicines working group within Veterinary Ireland. So I think there's a, there's a, there's a lot of work ahead and there's changes coming down the road and hopefully through negotiations and and talking with stakeholders that everyone can kind of you know make sure that this comes out of the positive situation in the end right and looking at again t taking something from uh, your conference and that is you know uh, you're saying that we need leadership and engagement in contributing to reducing antimicrobials again something that uh, farmers would be very aware of and I'm, I'm quite sure you as a dairy farmer as well as a vet uh, you know know all about uh, the new practices as, as far as the use of antibiotics on farms and particularly at the time when cows are being uh, dried off Mm -hmm. Yes, so there's been changes in regulations to stop prophylactic use of antibiotics um, on farms. So that would include uh, blanket dry cows. So that would be using antibiotics in all of the dry cows on the farm. So it's moving towards selective dry cow and selecting cows that, you know, don't have any infections. So have cell counts under 200 for a couple of tests of your milk recording and making sure that you're picking out the cows that are you know eligible for just sealer only and reducing those antibiotics and a lot of farms have been doing it for many years way before any legislation came in and we we're getting on really really well with it so it's just a change and it's it's finding confidence as well in talking to your vet and choosing those cows that are eligible for for sealer only and you know making 
a risk analysis of which cows do need antibiotics and which cows don't. But I think antimicrobial resistance in Ireland, we have been in the veterinary world and farming world, we've been doing really, really well and surpassing what actually we need to be doing each year to get to the final um, 50% reduction that the EU has has put in place. So we're actually surpassing what we need to do at the moment. So if we keep doing what we're doing between vets and farmers, we're going to be uh, we're going to be very um, successful in reducing the antibiotics that we use on farm. And it's really a process that is very important for human health as well. It's all about one health. Um, so reducing antimicrobial resistance within the animal world and then within the human world. So it, it's very important because a lot of people um, die in Europe more than cancer, actually, from mm-hmm. antimicrobial resistance. So we all have a, play, a part to play. And nobody uh, can, you know, we all have to do our bit. And uh, it's it's not something to be scared of. It's just something that we need to engage and talk about and discuss with your vet the options that are there. And it's uh, it's something that I've I've been taught since my very first day in vet school about responsible use of antibiotics. So it's something that's very, I hold close to my heart. I've been kind of exposed to it for many, many years now. Um, so it is very important we all play our part. Okay. I see then when you were accepting the position that you had personal goals and one of your goals is to encourage younger vets to become into your organisation and to participate in it. Mm -hmm. So yes, um, there's special membership rates for younger vets and we do have a lot of younger vets that are members but perhaps they don't realise that they have more of a voice within the organisation than they think they do. And we're very, very happy for young people to step up and talk at meetings and become part of working groups. And like we have a couple of working groups. So there's a medicine working group. We have a working time. We have a working conditions working group. Uh, so that's looking at, you know, rotas and how to make the work life balance within veterinary better. So that's really important. And I think, you know, young vets are the future of veterinary. And, you know, if they want to stay in practice, I think we need to be looking outside the box a little bit to make sure that our rotas and the way the practice runs are efficient and makes life you know, that little bit you know uh, more sustainable for young vets and um, yeah we have some amazing I was up in UCD last week with first years and I was listening to some presentations they were doing and amazing um, communication skills and their thoughts on sustainability you know in farming and veterinary they were talking about and I was I was very proud that we have some amazing vet students coming up through the line and it is very important that actually students can become members of Veterinary Ireland as well and it's free up to third year and then it's it's a, I think it's 50 euros then after that so it's really important that um students become part of the organization early as well to see how it runs to see what we do day to day and how we represent the profession and how they can have a voice in that representation and i see that there's going to be the establishment of a new veterinary school during uh, the next year? Well, yes, hopefully the HEA um, have given uh, the go-ahead to a couple of universities to um, potentially open a vet school. And I think it's important that, I suppose, the right vet school is chosen and that the, you know, the students have the best um, education within a vet school. So it's, uh, it's an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. And I have been part of a working group outside of Veterinary Ireland, actually, for the last couple of years, because I went to the UK myself 
I suppose it's a it's a passion that's close to my heart that I would have loved to have been able to stay in Ireland um, and study. But unfortunately, I didn't uh, have the points Point. to go to Dublin mm. as such um, because I was very good at sciences and maths and my languages definitely let me down a little bit. So um, it was just an option that I went to the UK and I, I loved my time in the UK. But I just think that there is uh, a lot of students traveling abroad to study in Eastern Europe and the UK and other places. And it would be lovely to have an opportunity for them to stay in Ireland. And um, I think that hopefully it will go ahead. I think it would be um, a real boost for veterinary and it would be one step. Uh, there's no silver bullet. It would definitely help with recruitment and retention of vets in Ireland. Um, but there's other, you know, with say, as I mentioned, with the working conditions group and looking at trying to retain the vets within um, within practice as well and making conditions good. Uh, so it's a, it's an ongoing process. Well, look, at I want to wish you very well for the coming year. I'm quite sure it will be very successful. It's great to see a younger person being the head of the organization for the coming year. Uh, if I may say so, you're not an elderly uh, veterinary surgeon, I can assure you. And Not quite yet, anyway. Yeah, not know. quite yet. And <laughs> it's also very important uh, from the point of view of the listeners for this program is that you are a dairy farmer as well. You know, there's a lot of dairy farmers in the country and uh, they like to see that as a dairy farmer is heading up veterinary Ireland so look at Hazel I wish you the best luck I hope we might be talking again sometime during your presidency and see how things are going that'd be lovely Jim thank you so much for the opportunity that listeners was Hazel Mullins the newly elected president of veterinary Ireland that listeners is Agriport for this week I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock and after that, Eamon DeWire presents Down Your Way.